Hello everybody and welcome to the Venture Oasis. It's Saturday 13th of June 2020 and I am Khaldun Tabaza, your host. And this podcast is brought to you by Imina Group, an investment company made up of company builders and venture capitalists with founders' attitudes and investors' mindsets. Before establishing Amina Group in 2013 with my partner Adi Salamin, I have been a founder and a venture capital investor in our region and beyond going back to 1996 when I started Arabia.com, the first venture-backed online business in the Arab world, and including co-founding iDevelopers in 2001, which was the first regionally incorporated venture capital fund which we started in Cairo. Between 1996 and today, I have started, advised, and invested in businesses in my home country of Jordan, as well as in Saudi Arabia, UAE, Kuwait, Egypt, as well as internationally in the US and Europe. Today, my guest from Dubai is Zaygen Yalchen, founder and CEO of sellanycar.com, an online marketplace where users can sell their cars in less than 30 minutes. Sellanycar.com has become the largest car trader in the UAE and the region without owning or renting a single showroom. In this first part of my discussion with Zagen, we will focus on the story of Sellanycar, while in the second part we will focus more about Zagen's own journey and what young founders and VCs can learn from him. Zagen, so great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. I'm actually, you know, uh, going through these tough times with everybody, but I believe generally um, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So, all good. Now, for those who don't know you, why don't you give us uh, an overview of who you are and, uh, and about Sell Any Car in a couple of minutes? Sure. So, I am the founder and CEO of Sell Any Car. Um, yeah, I came to Dubai approximately a decade ago, 10 years ago, and I have been focusing on the tech sphere and the internet industry as much as uh, my life admits. So I am basically focusing on that. I love building businesses, and my passion is now all around how we can make the lives of people who are buying and selling cars easier. So that's my passion, and this is what I'm doing all day, every day. Wonderful. Now, in, in simpler words, tell people what Sell Any Car does and why it's a great company. So Sell Any Car is the first and largest car buying service in the Middle East. So what we're doing is we buy any car in 30 minutes. That's the nutshell for consumers to know. Now, what we're, if, if the audience is a bit more into business, which I assume I can explain it. So Sell Any Car is at the second glance, an auction house. It's also the largest car auction house in the Middle East. And we sell 100% of our cars online. And we do this in uh, 15 minutes. Now that's the second nutshell. Now if you want a bit more, so we actually expanded into a bit more area. So we do not, uh, first of all, in the first uh, instance, we do not sell to consumers. We actually sell to dealers. So what happens is that Hundreds of dealers are actually bidding on the consumer's car or on the seller's car. And within this auction, we identify the highest price possible for the consumer, or in this case, the seller in general. In the second instance, however, we've built other brands around Sell Any Car. One of them is called BuyAnyCar.com. Now, BuyAnyCar is a C2C facilitator. And as you can imagine, it doesn't only sell to dealers, it also sells to consumers. So we have expanded around the core of Sell Any Car and have built brands around it. And one of them is Buy Any Car, but we have several others already built or even in the pipeline. So I hope that explains a little bit of what we do. Um, we can summarize the steps simply by saying that we offer an online valuation instantly for any car. That only takes around 15 seconds. The second step is a free car inspection. So you can visit any of our international branches where we will conduct an inspection of the car. And the third one is actually a guarantee to purchase any car. So this is sell any car in a nutshell. Wonderful. We'll go into that a bit more details later on. 
Sure. But Zagen, as a full disclaimer, you know, uh, we as Almina are invested in Sell Any Car. Um, we first met, when was it? February 2013, I believe. So uh, more than seven years ago. And that was actually, you know, we've never, we've never known each other before. And we'll talk a bit about, about that meeting at that time and how we developed this great relationship. I'm definitely very grateful for having the opportunity uh, to have met you and have invested in you. But tell me, tell me a bit about, thank you. Tell me a bit about Zygen before February 2013. So tell me a bit about your upbringing. Tell me a bit about how you came to Dubai and what brought you to that minute, that day when you were promoting Sell Any Car as an idea, a business plan on paper. When we met, I believe it was in the media city in Dubai, in one of the coffee shops in the media city in Dubai. That was our first meeting in February 2013. Tell me about the days and times before that. Wow, I mean, this brings back memories. So let me get, go a little bit back. So a little bit means uh, to the day I was born. I was born in Germany. And then I, I studied uh, in Germany, in the US and in Mexico and finished my MBA, um, actually graduated back in Germany. You studied, you, studied in, you studied in Mexico? Yes, I did. You know, I, well. never, I never knew that, wow. <laughs> It was, it was part of the trilingual um, studies I had. So we had to do it in three languages, German, English, and then one additional language, which was uh, my choice was Spanish. So anyway, when I uh, started my first business, it was actually a supplier to a business private shopping club, which is pretty much an exclusive members only website which sells fashion and lifestyle and accessory items at deep discounts, usually which because it is overstock of past season items. So I was creating a product or a brand optimized for those uh, shopping clubs. And I started with building a brand for ladies handbags. Don't ask me why, <laughs> but I I believe, I believe um, it was a result of the analyses I've done because um, they were hotcakes. So we have analyzed the shopping clubs and saw what was selling. It was one of the items which did not have the sizing issue, right? So for example, pants would have sizing issues selling online, but accessories usually sell well because people don't have to uh, do a fitting. Having said that, um, Shortly after that, we realized that actually that shopping clubs created trends and created brands and they were selling thousands of items which were actually not really known. And I was really impressed by the power they had to actually move thousands or even millions of items. Uh, having said that, I then focused on a global analysis and said, where in the world don't we have shopping clubs? And this is always hand in hand with my first business partners back then. Uh, but let, let, me, let, let, let me stop you for a bit, Zagen. So that mm -hmm. first business that you started, you started it in Germany, right? Correct. So that, your yeah. that was your first business right out of school? Uh, right out of university, yes. But I always okay. had my side, uh, like I, was, I had my students into business. Uh, but I wasn't really, I would call this was the first one where I really um, maybe thought I was, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. All right. Wonderful. So, so, uh, so this was always hand in hand with my first business partners uh, back in Germany. They were also uh, very supportive uh, in terms of invest. First investment was 20,000 euros. So it wasn't really a lot of money. Um, having said that, we then looked into an analysis and said, these shopping clubs seem to really work, right? Back then we had a different worldview. And we uh, saw that the Middle East, or specifically speaking, Dubai as a city was, a, was developing really well. So they had actually created something called Media City or Internet City. And we, we thought, okay, this is a very progressive mindset I would like to work in. 
if the market is actually uh, welcoming. And so we looked into the market and we saw back then in 2009 that the past decade saw a 9,000% increase in broadband penetration in, in, that, in the Middle East. Uh, we said, wow, this is actually a great sign that an audience is building up. Then we looked into the supply on, uh, on the internet and said, how much of e-commerce does actually exist? And there were only a handful. Uh, uh, so it was, it was a sign for us to say, well, why don't we kind of bring this model, which works all over the world, into the Middle East and, and start a private shopping club? So that was when uh, Sukkar.com was born. Sukkar uh, was then the fir first and then later the largest uh, private shopping club of the Middle East. Um, approximate, and this grew extremely fast and we, we, we've done that hand in hand with the Jabbar Internet Group with uh, Samir and Hussam and Ronnie was involved uh, really early on as well and um, two years later approximately we, we merged with uh, Sukh.com and the Sukh.com group was created and I was president of Sukkar and vice president of Sukh and continued there as well approximately a year, year and a half later I uh, have realized while trying to sell my car how difficult that was. And that was around uh, December or January 2013, right? approximately around that time. And looked into the business model, uh, which uh, in its original format existed obviously as a dealership, right? Sell any car could be considered as a dealership if you just look at the original format where, where a dealer would consider buying cars and then selling cars. It's a regular dealership. But then in the UK, there was another model uh, which was called we buy any car or we want any car. And there's many uh, so-called original models which have moved into a focused car buying service. So it has branded itself as a car buyer, not as a car seller, not as a uh, dealership. So this is how sell any car kind of got molded uh, in its first, I would say two to three months. Quickly, however, uh, sell any car has evolved uh, into something which is now an original. So sell any car is the first company which has actually created live auctions uh, uh, within the car buying sphere and uh, has uh, been able to create a trading excellence which removes the risk of inventory completely, which is able to sell hundreds of cars, actually even thousands of cars uh, within 15 minutes auctions uh, and scale and increase uh, the, the value for the sellers and the buyers instantaneously without actually compromising on price. Now this is this is something which which we have kind of uh, jumped into uh, as a as a result of a of a, of an uh, I would say an inspiration which came from other countries, but then actually created its own original, which Salani Car is now. Wonderful, uh, Zagin. We'll take a, a very quick break, and then uh, and then we'll come back. I'm Mina. We are company builders and venture capitalists with founders' attitudes and investors' mindsets. Visit imina.com for more information. Yeah, so we're, so we're, we're back now. All right, so uh, you, you've decided that, you know, you want to build a CARGS marketplace. You formulated the idea very well, you know. Uh, uh, we met. You were already, you know, getting some seed money from from some investors. You were amazingly convincing. You articulated the idea really, really well. We, as I mean ourselves, you know, were were just starting at the time, so we're also, you know, basically getting into the process of making investments and, uh, you know. We didn't know what was what was waiting for us ahead, uh, but uh, you know. So, what what was the point of time uh, in which you said this is a go, and you started dedicating all of your time to it, 
and you started spending money on it. A lot of people, a lot of founders, you know, toy with ideas. There are so many, uh, you know, uh, startups that get started but never launch. Some even develop products. Some, you know, talk about it with others. Some write presentations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there is this one point of time when you say, you know, this is it. It's it's a it's it's a go ahead. When was that time for you? What made you decide that this was the time? And what were the next steps? I believe it was January 28th in 2013. That is when I finalized my analyses towards the business model. And I was so convinced that it's going to solve a big problem in the market. Um, and shortly after, we have met. So that, that was a great... Uh, great indication that I think we have a great partnership uh, uh, in the future. And I said um, to my business partners back then at soup.com group, I said, look, I'll remain as a shareholder, but I'll resign as an active manager. And, um, and it was okay. So basically for a few months, I obviously had to do an handover and uh, could really focus on sell any car back then. It even had a, we didn't even know the name, right? I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Adi was uh, the one who actually recommended that name. So it wasn't me. Yes. So that was. Uh, so we Just had for the sake for the sake of everybody, Adi is Adi Salamin, who's my partner at uh, at Aynina Group. He came up with uh, with the name of Selanikar.com and secured yes, the name. That would be a great name. Can you see if if it's available? We checked and it wasn't available, so we had to buy it. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, how much? How much did you buy it for? I mean, uh, fifteen thousand dollars, I think. It wasn't. Was, it wasn't. It wasn't cheap for a startup, but in retrospect, it, it's a great deal, right? <laughs> I think. I think. Yeah. And then we we actually did a lot of analysis. We have all the domain endings, uh, all the TLDs. Actually, we have not only in sell any car, but even buy any car. So it was a, it was a good, um, good name. And, and because I was a fan of any car, uh, because it kind of tells you what we are focusing on, on sell, buying any car and you can sell any car to us. It's one of the frequently asked questions. Well, you buy any car, do you actually buy any car? Yes, any car. That's why it's in the name. So, um, yeah, so it, it took it, it took approximately two three months for a, a for a solid enough handover, and then I started focusing on selling any car a lot till today. Uh, so, <laughs> wow, uh, wow! But uh, so a lot of people want to do that, okay? And a lot of people get uh, sort of stuck at at the first step. So we know. How do you start? Do you start by by hiring uh, technical talent? Do you start by envisioning the product? Do you start how how do you actually get sell any car from a step when it was uh, a concept that you were mm -hmm. completely convinced in to the day when you bought your first car? I mean, it's it's a six step process. I go through this uh, in my head. Uh, all the time. I actually talk about it uh, during my uh, speeches. So generally, it starts with the process inside you, right? So depending on where you are, you have to figure out if you have the entrepreneurial spirit. And that is something you don't have to have. I mean, some people get it from their parents, some people get it at their university, some people get it from their friends or from media. But generally, this is a major question. Do you want to become an entrepreneur is a question you have to answer. It doesn't mean entrepreneurship is good and uh, working for somebody else is not good. It's just some people just don't want to go through the hassle uh, of um, and the, the associated so-called risk of uncertainty with entrepreneurship. If you have answered that, and there's many, um, many people who convince you of the so-called mindset uh, or can inspire you to become entrepreneurs, which I am one of. I love to inspire people to become entrepreneurs, but it's not a must. So only 3% of the world actually decides that, right? If you think about it, 97% of the people in the world are not entrepreneurs. 
And that's not because they cannot. Probably some of them don't want to. So that's the first step. And that was, for me, it was clear a, a long time ago. I think ever, ever since I was uh, even seeing businesses, I was convinced that I want to become an entrepreneur. So the second step is something called uh, idea generation and valuation, right? So you basically, how do you come up with ideas? Now, some of them, like it might just happen that you see a problem in the market, right? Selling a car was a, a used car was a problem in the market, I saw. It's basically uh, not only your own problem. Is it a massive problem in the market you can profitably scale? and uh, monetize are you passionate about it? these questions and, and a few more questions you need to answer about um, the way you evaluate the idea but also generate an idea idea generation could also come from just being in um, in the in the market in the industry by saying all right do you read the blogs do you follow the news do you see which other companies are getting funded do you uh, follow venture capitalists do you actually uh, are you in touch with startup-oriented lawyers? Uh, do you go to conferences? All of those uh, sources could actually uh, get you an idea. And one thing you need to understand is you don't need to be an inventor. An inventor is one part of a skill set um, which is not necessarily the, the one which actually makes you successful in entrepreneurship. Most successful companies you know now are not inventions. They are just better implementations of an existing idea with few uh, adaptations. Some of them took ideas which worked really well in another market and brought it into their own market and adapted it, right? Like most successful uh, internet companies in the Middle East are not inventions. And I don't believe Middle East, the Middle East has to be a market for inventions. First of all, inventions are associated with higher risks, right? So access to capital is uh, required a certain access to capital is required for those kind of uh, uh, companies so that's why you see a lot of inventions in venture capital hotbeds such as silicon valley where there is money available for risky or even riskier uh, uh, inventions and and tests and uh, that is something which i would not necessarily recommend you trying to become an inventor I mean, if you have a great invention, go ahead. But generally, I would see it as easier if you just take an existing idea and adapt it to your market. So that is the idea phase, right? Obviously, there's many deep dive uh, discussions we can have around any of these um, verticals I'm going to talk about. The next step, what I usually do is build a, um, an analysis sheet, right? Which is a light version of a business plan. So you look at, okay, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this idea or this business? Uh, what are the uh, proven business models in other markets? And you basically get an overview of what this business could be. You then build a business plan, a full one, which has your, on top you have your revenue engine. So how do you actually generate uh, traffic which converts into uh, revenue? How do your cost of goods sold look? So how do your contribution margins one and two look? And how does your EBIT at one point of time look? So you can actually have an educated discussion with uh, potential investors, right? So the next step after that is actually not immediately talking to investors, is actually um, talking to potential team members. So the business plan will tell you how many people you will need when at which budget. And that is important because you will then be able to identify uh, who you need to talk to. Now, you might ask yourself, okay, but how do you know all these things uh, about the business if you have never built it, right? And that is something which comes with the team step. Because when you identify the, the team you assume you need to have, you will actually talk to people in the industry. You will go, for example, what I did is I talked to 50 potential uh, consumers and 50 potential dealers because I knew this is going to be the realm of people I'm going to be dealing with when I go into this business. So I talked to the big auto dealerships. And what I did is I didn't just say, hey, can you uh, tell me about the market? I basically said, 
I have an opportunity for you. I'm starting a new business. So there's a lot of managers and a lot of people in the industry who are willing to talk to you. I mean, it doesn't cost them anything and actually might end up in a great opportunity for them where you can um, participate. So during this job interview, you actually get a lot of knowledge. You basically know about certain KPIs and standards and uh, best practices. They consider best practices and um, you basically learn. While you actually do a job interview, you learn from those people. You learn how much, how much margin is actually conventional. You know the problems of consumers. You know where you can actually identify which process steps are outdated. You know, Zagan, I, would you add, have... I would also add something to this, uh, which is you know, a trick that uh, you know, uh, one great entrepreneur once taught me. He said, you know, that the best market research that you can do, you can do when you're doing a hiring process. Because where you're undergoing a hiring process and talking to people, you know, uh, whether they're looking to have an opportunity or whether they already have an opportunity or looking, you know, to move one step further in their career, uh, you know, you can learn so much about the market that you're in and that will contribute greatly to your business plan and your product development. Please. And what has actually happened is those people in the beginning, um, some of them were fat cats and fat cats in those terms were they're too expensive and too early for us to hire. They actually joined later, right? So you actually kept the relationship open. It was also one of the first deals you can do with those. Even though they don't join you, they might give you access to the companies you can actually collaborate with. So that is a nutshell into looking around how you build a team. Now imagine you are uh, at this point, and this is approximately 90 days into, usually 90 days into your analyses, you are at a stage where you have a lot of insights around the market. You have, you know your numbers. You know every single number. You have assumptions in your business plan. You back them up with your market research you've done by talking to potential team members. You have a team, right? Some of them will join you. Some of them will tell you that they might join once you grow. But you have a core team. Then you go to the investor. That is when you go to the investor. You don't go to investors with, a, with just a brainstorming session, right? That is, I think, where people or entrepreneurs um, say it's impossible to get money. Well, technically, there's two things. It is possible to get money because what do you think an investor's job is? To invest, right? So if he doesn't invest, he's not an investor. So having said that, if I am now going there and say, I have a brainstorming session with your investor, you're just going to waste the investor's time. So what you're going to do is you need to be investable, right? You get to that space. And that's usually what I just explained, right? Uh, I mean, we can go into details of each one of those verticals, but generally you get to a point where you become investable. You educate yourself around the basics of business as well. Business is a craft. It's not all about mindset. I said mindset is only step one, right? So you get to the financing stage and then you have these investors you talk to, okay? You come with your numbers, you come with your market research, you know about the business model in and out, you have analyzed it outside your market and you have a potential team. Now, this is when you're investable. You talk to one, two, three, four, ten, right? If all ten of them, or even 50, right, you have to be diligent about it. Because not every investor is at this stage uh, uh, they want to, uh, to invest in. Meaning, um, not every investor is a seed investor, right? Some of them actually come in in Series A, Series B, or even later on. So you need to talk to the right ones. How do you get to them is another topic. So generally... Um, you talk to the right investors. If all of them give you, uh, well, all of them will give you feedback, right? So if someone says no, I think the best thing you can get out of this no is just to figure out why, why is that a no? So you can judge if actually you made a mistake in your previous steps, right? So if 50 professional investors all say no, and they might be something, there might be something you might have missed, right? For example, uh, many ideas I see with uh, aspiring entrepreneurs is that they are too small, right? The market is just too small. They forget about 
that uh, solving a problem is not only solving a, your own problem and it's just small, right? So how much money do you have to invest into this business? Might be a million dollars, but the market is just not big enough so you can make a big return out of this. So how scalable is this idea is really, really um, important. So if you get this feedback from professional investors, use it. If you have done your analysis right, you will actually get investment because it's a matter of diligence and not uh, luck. I believe um, this is my, this is my uh, passion. It's business intelligence. What I call business intelligence is something like a, a, um, a group of activities. So how do you excel in your trading? How do you excel in your data? How do you excel in the, in, in, in the action points? Business. Make sure that you focus on the number one KPI in your business first, such as I think the first 90 days of uh, operations, you should focus on sales, right? Like how do you make sure that you can generate revenue if it's a trading business? I mean, it depends on the type of businesses, but generally in our businesses meant how do you prove the concept? What is actually proof of concept? For me, proof of concept is a profitable contribution margin too. What does that mean? Um, and that is something, if you understand this, and I, I mean, it might bore some people who are already advanced in your audience, but for those aspiring entrepreneurs, this is really something I want to give to you. One, when you are funded, either self-funded, find it from yourself, your business angels, your investors, your friends, the four Fs, right? If you find it, now is the time you have to prove the concept. Right? This is not time when you're done. This is when it really starts. So how do you prove concept is contribution margin two. Contribution margin two means are you profitable on a unit economics basis after marketing? Zagan, uh, uh, before we go into that, it's probably, yes. help, it's probably helpful to, you know, to talk about, about the key innovation that really helped sell any car become uh, the largest car buyer in the UAE that does not have a showroom. What was, what was the main fundamental change that you introduced into this business model? You know, first time we talked about it, we wanted to buy, car and, to buy cars and stock them, you know? And, and we did some analysis and we found out that if we miss the numbers, you know, even by a very small percentage, that would result in the funding needs growing, you know, uh, by multiples, by tens of millions of dollars, which, you know, none of us had, had at the time. So that's when, you know, we discussed how can we innovate? And that was actually, you know, true that you talk about uh, local or regional entrepreneurs, you know, learning from business ideas from other places in the world. But actually that was a first worldwide innovation that we introduced into the business model of car marketplaces because all of the other players in other markets were actually buying cars, stocking them, and then trying to sell them. And thus, they needed much more funding and they were carrying a very high inventory risk margin. Talk about, mm -hmm. about the innovation that we didn't sell any car. And then please talk about how that con you know, translates into your contribution margin one and contribution margin two. Right. I think that is, uh, that ties in really well. So I'll just uh, jump into that real quick. So in the first few days of selling cars trading uh, practices, we were buying cars. So, um, I mean, I come from a, I come from a trading background and think about it. So it was an e-commerce business trucking. And then we had actually also consignment businesses. So I understood what it means to hold inventory and what a small forecasting error could actually lead to, right? So that is really important. If you're building a business based on inventory, you need to make sure, one, you have really, really strong forecasting uh, mechanisms, and two, you have high margins because you cannot have a low margin business with high uncertainty in forecasting and still build an inventory model. That doesn't work. And um, so... Selling cars started buying cars. 
And what you do is when you buy cars in the beginning, you have a certain assumption that you can buy the car for 10 and sell it for 11 at a higher price. So you basically have these assumptions. This is what you call a forecasting, right? Um, and I realized that my uh, team members, which uh, were luckily extremely uh, uh, experienced in the market, they were avoiding inventory. So what they were doing is while they were buying the cars, and back then we didn't have split roles, so they were pretty much doing everything. So when they were buying the cars, they were on the phone with several dealers and said, how much can you buy it from me? So what they were doing via WhatsApp and phone calls was a manual auction. I realized that. I was like, okay, so while you're buying the car, you already have getting certainty around your sale. Now, obviously, this is really great because my technical background immediately told me, hold on, this is something we could automate. We could make it much better. So we built from very early on. In the first few weeks already, we started building an auction platform. And in the beginning, it was a closed auction. So people were just putting their bids and then no one would see what the highest price was. At the end of the auction, we would then pick the highest one. We then moved into a hybrid model of inventory and auction. Then we completely moved into um, the auction model. Now, the beauty of this was not that auction houses weren't invented. I mean, there are Mannheims, there are BCAs in the world. We know about them, right? The beauty of the, that was real-time auctions shortly after the inspection report. Now, that is something where the consumer is still in your premises. When you've done that, you have actually created um, a model which doesn't work on inventory, maximizes value for the seller because you create real-time competition on the car. You coordinate the market, in this case now, even internationally, so you are, you are not dependent on local market conditions. You create competition, as I said, which maximizes value. And I come from a flash sales background, right? So, so, Sukkar was a flash sales website. So I know the power of impulse purchases and I know the power of sense of urgency, what it, me, what it does to actually uh, prices and um, the, the um, product, which basically flows much faster. So we realized that not only did our uh, inventory become almost zero, it actually also led to higher margins, which was a super surprise for us. Because in the beginning we thought, well, if you hold inventory, you have more time to sell so you could maximize margins. That's not the case. Inventory cars do not sell at higher margins. Uh, what a lot of entrepreneurs miss, especially in e-commerce and, and try to trick investors into, is um, something which you will later on as an entrepreneur realize that it might kill your businesses. You might say my gross margin on sold items is 60%, a high margin business, right? Some fashion e-commerce businesses do that. But what they miss to tell you is what's the percentage of items you're actually selling at that margin, right? Even if it's 90% that you're selling at 60%, what happens to the 10% you cannot sell at any margin at all, usually at negative margins? So you look at the, you look at the balance sheet of those companies and if they're growing in hyper growth phase, it doesn't really uh, actually catch your eye because the top line grows and your margins continue to grow and your inventory levels grow disproportionately in the beginning. They are just there, but it becomes dead stock. Now, when you stop hyper growth phase, you suddenly realize that your inventory age is extremely high. And the margin you can generate with your inventory is actually nowhere positive, it's negative. So then you look at the margins you actually had on a blended mode and you realize that you weren't running profitably at all. Even though you sold your 90% of your items at high margins, that dead stock which you carried with you actually kills your business at one point. Not, not only that, but also... But also, Zagen, in some of the 
you know, basically uh, e-retail business models, the percentage of goods that are returned, you know, not only yeah. the percentage. Yeah. Returns, cancellations, I mean, mode of payment. I mean, we can go into these details. If you, if you, if you talk to me about uh, cash on delivery businesses, I can tell you, I can write another book about it, right? What does cash on delivery mean? It means your cash cycle is horrible. So you know, but, but some of your audiences might not know that a profitable business can run out of business. Of course. And how that works is that you actually, you, you have a very bad payment cycle. Your cash cycle is, is actually, your working capital is too high, so you run out of money, even though you're running at a profit. So your EBIT looks positive, but your uh, cash flow statement is actually negative and you run out of money. So at the end of the day, um, again, business is a craft, right? It's not all mindset. So you need to learn the basics about the business. And what I've learned is to prove your concept in the beginning, the first 90 to 180 days, it's really important to figure out your trading excellence, right? Figure out your margins. Like how are you trading? Are you, are you, are you, Fake positive, what I'm saying in terms of is you're selling a certain piece of your items as a, as a profit, but what happens to those you're not selling? Are you actually having to discount them and selling them at negative margins? So proof of concept, and that is really what's going to get you to C plus or series A rounds is, uh, or to the proof of concept stage is when your contribution margin two is positive. Not only so, so, so that, just a second. So in, in the in the case of sell any car, uh, yes. describe to the audience what is contribution uh, margin one CM one and what is CM two as it applies yes. to sell any car's business model. Okay, that actually makes it simple. I usually use um, any product, but generally, when you buy a product at ten dollars that's your cost right and you sell it at twelve dollars that's your gross margin is two right that's very simple your cost of goods sold i mean you make it simple you you pay 10 you sold it for 12 you made two in your first contribution margin now the second contribution margin is usually after marketing right so you look at it and say okay while i bought this product for 10 and I'm, I'm simplifying it here. While I bought this product for 10 and I sold it for 12, it cost me $1 in actually marketing, right? So to attract the customer, it cost me another dollar. So now my cost is 11 and I'm selling it at 12. So my contribution margin two is $1, not two anymore. So if this, contribution margin is positive in this case it's positive because i still make one dollar on contribution margin too then uh, i have a proof of concept why right you might say well what is proven and i'll tell you what's proven first when you talk to investors you're asking them for rocket fuel what does that mean rocket fuel is something which basically accelerates your growth you're telling them, look, I am positive on my contribution margin two level. I want to grow faster. I want acceleration. And in exchange, I'm going to give you a share of the company or I'm going to give it to you as a debt, whatever the model is. You're basically saying, give me more money so I can grow faster. And I'm going to put it into marketing. I'm going to actually create more transactions. And an investor knows that. He knows that if you put money into this business, your business is going to grow on your top line right? Because you're going to invest more into marketing and you actually create more conversions, more transactions. And at the end of the day, this is growing. Now, what is actually growing is your revenue and your contribution margin too is hopefully still positive. So if you have a scalable and profitable marketing channel, you can prove that, that there's more potential you can pay marketing dollars into and you can keep your contribution margin too positive. The investor knows that your fixed cost, however, will remain fixed until a certain point. We call this jump fixed cost. What does that mean? Jump fixed cost means that usually the fixed costs remain fixed. Like you don't need another office or another warehouse for every additional transaction until you reach a certain point and then you have to jump into the next level of a fixed cost level. And that is great because 
Now, when you put in more dollars into marketing and you have more transactions, the business growth, the fixed costs remain the same and you actually turn EBIT positive, which basically means is you turn net positive. In the beginning, the investor does not want to see you that you create profits, net profits. That's not the stage you're in. You're in the proof of concept stage. So you want to prove that your contribution margin two is positive, but your EBIT doesn't have to be positive in the first three to six months. I mean, great if you do so, but generally no one will tell you, oh, you're still burning money, so I, I'm not going to invest. That's not true. They know that the fixed costs will remain the same. You will eventually turn net positive if you maintain your contribution margin to positive. And, and there's many other levels, but generally I would focus on making that KPI positive and then optimizing your fixed cost is, is, a, uh, is a simple one. So, Zagin, um, I mean, a lot of um, you know, founders or, or entrepreneurs who could think about you know, sell any cars business model uh, might you know, uh, basically be worried or not be able to expect, you know, how the ecosystem of car selling would receive a player like sell any car. What we know now after being in the business for seven years is that you are used car dealer's best friend. And, you know, uh, basically you've elevated and added a lot to the industry and, even you know you have contributed through feedback and discussions and communication to improve the process and how the transfer of car ownership happens you know at, at, at the government and at the registrar office there so talk to us about you know some of the things that that you've done in your business model to basically uh, you know align with car dealers, align with consumers, and align with the government in, in your business model? So, um, yeah, that might be the first impression that we compete against dealers, but generally dealers are our customers, right? And there's a reason why they are our customers is because we have uh, reduced their costs and increased their business. Generally, um, uh, no one would deal with us if they don't see value. And now, uh, almost every dealership uh, in, in the country is actually one of our customers. How does that work? Um, when I was talking to you about interviewing for potential team members, I also mentioned that I was talking to people who were working at uh, dealerships. And one of the topics was how many walk-in customers do you get? And where do you get your customers from? And a customer for dealers is not only the guy who wants to buy a car, but also a guy who wants to sell a car, right? So what happens is they usually go to a dealership and say, look, I would like to buy X car. I have this car. Can I get rid of it here? So that's usually a trade-in. Or dealers need cars, need to buy cars in order to sell cars, right? So the sourcing part for dealers was a headache because they only got one walk-in per day on average to their showrooms. Some of them didn't even have showrooms, so they were annoying people on classifieds um, who were actually trying to sell to consumers. They were acting like they're consumers to buy cars from them. So their sourcing was a pain point. And I realized, okay, sell any car X can actually solve that pain point. That's one thing. Sourcing cost reduced because for us, everything actually joining sell any car as a dealer is free you have an app and you basically choose the cars you want to bid on, you buy them, it gets delivered to you seamlessly. Having said that, sourcing cost was reduced. They didn't need a sourcing department. The marketing cost was reduced. Actually, um, when we realized that also the certainty around the transactions has increased, why? Um, we inspect every car thoroughly, more than even a dealer would do. Because that's all core competency, inspecting cars. So we gave them more data points around the car purchase. We reduced the cost, as I said. We increased volume. Now, while they had only getting one walk-in every day in their showroom and maybe annoying a few more people on classifieds, we could give them hundreds of cars a day, potential cars if they wanted to buy them. 
they're welcome to bid on any car. And that's all they had to do. We also give them now additional services. I mean, we give them payment terms. They can pay in 30 days. Um, we give them choice. We give them international choice, not only the one in their city, right? So what's the likelihood of a dealer being able to buy a car in, in Muscat, in Riyadh, in Jeddah, in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, at the same day without actually having to travel and trusting our inspection reports? We guarantee major fields in the inspection reports for accuracy. So they have a right to return if we make mistakes in certain uh, guaranteed fields. And Salani Car is world class in terms of accuracy in inspection reports. Our return rates are um, record low. So having said that, and there's many other benefits, but generally dealers are uh, our customers and uh, we have a great relationship and we, we're growing their business our business, and we add value to the sellers, right? There's a huge network effect. There's a huge uh, benefit for the sellers uh, to use sell any car because, again, uh, it's price, convenience, and speed, right? But, yeah, that's, uh, that's in a nutshell. Wonderful. So, Zagen, uh, when I meet a lot of my friends that I've told them about sell any car in maybe in 2014 and 2015, uh, they tell me, oh, Khaldun, yes, but we went to the website and you guys are low balling, you know, like, uh, you know, my car is worth uh, 100,000 dirham. You offered me 64,000 dirhams. And I asked them, why don't you go there again now and check? And then they go again and say, wow, you know, now I'm getting a great deal. What happened? So, you know, can you explain to, to, uh, to both, you know, founders as well as consumers, you know, this hidden aspect of sell any car being, you know, the, how, how, how you built algorithms and evaluation engine that learned from multiple sources and then ended up with this, you know, greatest mind of valuing cars that is hosted on your servers. I mean, this is a great point. Generally, um, it touches on the network effect, it touches on artificial intelligence, ML, and also um, <clears throat> the trading excellence of Selenica. So Selenica today has a unique database of car values, pretty much for almost every car. And it can give you within 15 seconds and only asking you six questions around your car to give you a value which is 92% accurate. And this is also uh, prone to input errors of the user. So if you actually did not make any mistake in input, uh, inputting your data, then we would actually go up to 98% accuracy. How do we do that, right? How do you only ask six questions uh, around the car and you know exactly the value of your car? And that is because of a great uh, network effect, right? The more cars we see, the more data we collect around cars. And if we have more data around cars, the accuracy of that valuation goes up. So believe it or not, your car is not an individual. We have seen probably hundreds of them before. We also have immediate and real-time touch to the market, right? We are actually the market. Consider Selani Car as a stock exchange for cars. So in the beginning, obviously, we didn't have data. So what we were using was external sources, classifieds, um, uh, certain books for valuation, and we realized that these were not really accurate. What we have now is a database of cars which has hundreds of uh, inspection fields, and each one of them actually feeds into an artificially intelligent database which gives you a value around your car and has smart assumptions. Obviously, the car has not only six data points, <clears throat> but we're not going to ask you to answer more because most of the other ones uh, can be answered by smart assumptions. So over time, accuracy of valuation went up. Deliverability valuation went up. The higher the competition for a certain product, I was priced the right, right? Price is derived by supply and demand. The more demand you have, in this case, the number of dealers or the number of bidders in our platform, which is now in dollar values, multiple billions of dollars every year, <clears throat> and it's over, every car is actually oversubscribed 5x, 
right? What does that mean? It means we have instantaneous binding offers, actually 15 minutes binding offers <clears throat> for your car, not only one, but 5X oversubscribed. So having said that, the more demand, the higher the prices. And this is why it's a great service for sellers as well, because first of all, today even, you don't even have to move out of your house because we, we implemented the home service. Technically, you could stay at your home or you come at one of our nationwide brands, finish the process on your phone, negotiate on your phone, finalize the legal process on your phone. And this is where the government comes in. We have tied up with the government agencies. We do allow digital title transfers. So you don't have to go to the traffic departments anymore. So this comes with good prices, speed, because it only takes 30 minutes, and convenience, because you don't have to travel around dealerships or deal with uh, consumers for several weeks to, uh, and educate yourself around the process to sell your car. Um, and that is the beauty of the network effect on both sides. The more dealers we have, the higher the prices, that the better the service. The more uh, higher prices, then the better the service. More sellers are coming, so a higher volume for the dealers. And when you get to that inflection point, that's when it becomes a beautiful self-serving marketplace. And uh, that is what Sell Any Car is today. So Zagen, uh, this is all great. You know, uh, now we're recording this in early June, 2020. Earlier this year, you've closed what is probably the largest funding round for an internet startup in the MENA region this year, which made you probably one of the you know, most valuable handful of homegrown businesses in the MENA region. Congratulations. Well earned and, and well done. What's next for Sell Any Car? So Sell Any Car is now focusing on uh, four areas. And the major one is geographic expansion. So we are going to continue the, the growth of the network effect by adding more inspection locations, which basically means we're adding more countries. Uh, the focus area is Saudi Arabia. I believe this is uh, the potential market for uh, our business. We're going to add more in, in Oman and actually fill up the GCC. Uh, as, uh, as the way going forward. Now, the other area is product expansion. So as I said, Sell Any Car's core business has been described, but we're also moving into auxiliary uh, business models um, on top of the core business. Another one is what we call the marketplace growth. So generally, we're going to focus on building a larger network of uh, dealers and bidders in the platform. For obvious reasons, it's going to, again, enhance the network effect. And um, the last part is to grow, uh, further grow our world-class team. And Sell Any Car today uh, has gone through uh, COVID-19 in a very um, stable manner in terms of the team. We haven't fired anybody because of COVID-19. And this is possible, one, because the business has been very uh, flexible in terms of its cost structure. As I said, imagine we would have built an inventory model. We would be stuck with cars, right? We have built a business model, which is, um, first of all, not reliant on the number of people to create transactions. So we are always uh, a leader in one KPI, which is the revenue per headcount, right? So if you build a business model, a tech business especially, um, you need to be able to automate uh, your processes and make them scalable without having to add more headcount. So our team is already adding so much value that a drop in revenue has not necessarily uh, resulted in uh, getting rid of people. So uh, this is something which uh, Sell Any Car has been uh, excelling in and we haven't lost any team member. To the contrary, we're actually now focusing on building more uh, and bigger teams uh, in the future. So uh, generally, these are the four areas we're now focusing on. Wonderful. Uh, Zygen, uh, we have to wrap up this first part now about Sell Any Car. Uh, it has been great. Uh, and I'm sure in the next months, we're going to come back and talk about, you know, 
advancements and developments and changes inside Anycar and maybe go a bit deeper into your model. Uh, for uh, everybody who's listening or viewing us now, please look forward to the second part of our chat with Zagen, where we're going to talk less about Sell Anycar, the business, and more about Zagen, the person. Zagen, thank you so much. And uh, for our viewers and listeners, uh, take care and, uh, you know, Thank you. Please subscribe to this forecast. Tell all of your friends about it. All of the founders, all of the investors, all of the students, and send us your feedback at the email address that is listed in the notes for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you.